Hello, and welcome to Phoenix Talks, where we get academics and cinephiles to chat with us about past, current, and upcoming films. My name is Becky Jones, and here today we have Kieran Foster, Harry Abbott, and Ethan Hargreaves from the Cinema and Television History Department at De Montfort University to talk to us about Taika Waititi, his filmography, his work with Marvel for Thor Ragnarok, and the style that is all his own. Hi, my name is Harry Abbott. I'm a third-year film student studying at DMU. Uh, I'm Ethan Hargreaves. I'm a, also an undergraduate at the Montfort University and a member of the bar staff at Phoenix. Uh, I'm James Kieran. I'm, at the, I'm a PhD student at, at DMU as well. I'm the former Phoenix alumni. All right, welcome. Uh, so, Watiti's films are always laced with humor and awkward or troubled relationships. And what do you think it is about his style that makes these stories so successful? I mean, up to up to Thor, which is obviously God's in a different mm-hmm. plane and space and things like that. <laughs> it, I, I would have said there's this kind of it's a um, depiction of realism or sort of sort of magical realism. But it's certainly a it's it's stretched to a to yeah. a certain point. There's certain um, he asks audiences to go along with things that wouldn't be you know you wouldn't find like a Ken Loach kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He's dealing with real people and scenarios that um, aren't particularly everyday, but aren't uh, too out there. Mm-hmm. But kind of stretching them to in certain scenarios to to the point of uh, disbelief. I mean, what we do in Shadows is actually plays on that in the reverse. Mm-hmm. It, it takes something fantastic. Quite mundane. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a basically a house share comedy. It just so happens with vampires. Uh, so I think he has this really interesting relationship with kind of the mundane, the kind of ordinary, uh, balanced with these extraordinary things. Be it the the priest monologuing pump the wood, <laughs> which is obviously just so bonkers and silly, yeah. um, but very funny. In what is a tragic real life situation, yeah. you know. And then you have the things like the, what, what we do in shadows, like I just mentioned, we've got vampires having to have this conversation with, like we've all had conversations with them, so like, oh, yeah. can we look at what you're going there? Yeah. Uh, so that is real world conversations, but with fantastic people. I think even Thor does do that to a degree. It mm. takes it to like a character in Thor called Cork, mm. who is a giant eight foot sentient water monster, <laughs> but who talks like a, a New Zealand, played by uh, and he's very kind of, uh, I talked about pamphlets, yeah. he's making kind of uh, jokes and very kind of amiable in his, in his dialogue. It's not um, noticeably like real, real life dialogue, the first mm-hmm. kind of the Shakespearean and overtones of the last all two films. Yeah. So I think he's distinctive in, his, yeah. in the balance between realism and uh, I think he has an interesting He actually uh, based uh, Korg on, I think it was like a New Zealand um, bouncer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, they're always like, yeah, I think his humour is sort of like the humour of the everyday. Yeah. And everyone can relate to it. And that's why I think, like, as you said, it's just the mundane. Um, and I've got here for British audiences, that's something like that's some of the funniest comedy. Like with the in-betweeners, like it's sort of like just everyone's been through those situations. Um, and the only reason I bring up the in-betweeners is because Taika Waititi actually directed some of the American. Um, episodes oh, that were on MTV, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so you can see how like that humour isn't sort of like yeah. worldwide, but in sort of like yeah. sort of that like, niche little audiences can love it. So. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I always see like his stories as sort of very comprehensible, but almost caricatures of real life situations. So I like, say like the flatting situation, yeah, or doing the shadows. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the, that, that's the meeting. The <laughs> yeah. 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 It's brilliant. Yeah. It ends with the three characters floating above, <laughs> hissing. 
<laughs> well, the conversation itself is so we've all had it. Exactly. Put your in the flag. Yeah. Even to a sense, uh, home for the wilder people. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the, it's almost just like a difficult relationship with a set father. Yeah. yeah. In a sense. And what would happen if oh I decide to run off into the forest? But that forest is the New Zealand outback. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, uh, everything's relatable, but exaggerated almost tenfold yeah. with the dry New Zealand yeah. humour to it. I think Paris Point is interesting as well, that he's directed obviously for television, like, that his films mm. create a very distinctive and quite easy to see auto as a horrible film, yeah. but it creates these a distinctive voice, yeah. in, uh, you can tell a kind of tiger like from down to the reusing actors, mm -hmm. you know, the, the yeah. humour in what we said in terms of the thematic thing. But it's actually that kind of cultivates him as a as a specific film, and really he's done a lot of other stuff as well. Like he, did, yeah. he directed the TV stuff, he has a hand in Pride of Concord, but mm -hmm. then he's also acted in Green Lantern. He plays like yeah, the, yeah. The, this comedy sidekick friend <laughs> yeah. in Green Lantern, you know, in these kind of big Hollywood films, smaller films. You know, mm -hmm. he is an actor as well in his own films and yeah, the lead actor in What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah, yeah, in these, um, obviously, he steals all the best lines and thought. Um, <laughs> I guess he wrote them so he can, yeah, he can, he can say it. Yeah. But I think he's, uh, I think you do, and Hunt for the Wolf as the minister as well, mm. he's in it for two minutes, but it's like, here are all the things that he's So, yeah, I think he's, it's, it's, it's easy yeah. to say, oh, he's a, you know, with a clear voice and clear thematic um, mm. and production context similarities, but I think you, you do also have to acknowledge that he's, there is a hit and a miss quality. Yeah. Even though he is kind of a critical darling, uh, but and he's as an actor as well, he, he's he's a working actor. Mm -hmm. He appears in all sorts. I feel like with his films, at least to me, there's always that sort of almost childlike imagination that's always in through all of them. It really comes out in Boy, but all of his films have that kind of aspect to it. Even when they aren't necessarily kids in it, you get that sort of childlike. You've got an idea about yourself and of the world, and you see the world that way until something happens and maybe shatters that view, and then you have to reassess how you see things again. Come for the wilder people, yeah. like Ricky showing up being this like gangster on the farm, naming his dog Tupac, like all of that was just adorable. <laughs> this kid was great. Uh, Ricky for me is, I mean, there's so many characters like Carl, Biago from What mm -hmm. the Shadows, but I think Ricky for me might steal the show <laughs> just slightly. Julian Dennison is awesome. So good. Like you say with the dogs, like I'm, I'm stuck between the names Megatron or Tupac. <laughs> and in the next scene, he's going Tupac. <laughs> he's my best mate. Yeah, he's my best friend. Tupac. You know that love between animals as well in that mm -hmm. is it's fantastic. Obviously, there are a number of characters in that. The uh, mm -hmm. social worker. From mm -hmm. She is in every single film he has made. She is yeah. always in his films. I thought she, um, it's a good hunt for the world of people with really. cameo in Thor as well, actually. Mm -hmm. Sam Neill uh, yep. uh, pops up in, yep. uh, in, in a theatrical performance um, <laughs> as Odin. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, it was interesting seeing how many Kiwis he got into Thor Ragnarok. It was, yeah. like, it was not just his core people he always worked with, but also people like Carl Urban, like Sam Neill, like, they were just like, Kiwi, Kiwi, yeah. like, all the New Zealand, and he's like, guys, come on, I'm yeah. well, I mean, come join uh, me. Yeah, 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 and so it was mostly really shot in Australia, which probably aided in the, the convenience of getting everyone to join in. Yeah, I think all three, despite being a two hundred fifty million dollar blockbuster, the seventeenth in an ongoing franchise, <laughs> uh, is still quite uh, 
fairly a, a Which leads me to my next question. When Watiti took over Thor Ragnarok, his first blockbuster film, he made it clear he wanted to be able to do things his own way. So why do you think Marvel actually gave him this free reign, um, and do you think it paid off? I, I think it, for starters, it's off the back of, maybe disaster's the wrong word, but with Ant-Man. Mm. in regards to the relationship with Edgar Wright, right. which fell apart quite tragically. The uh, audience of a lot of comic book fans and are fans of the Cornetto trilogy. Mm. You know, when you find out that the man who made Hot Fuzz is making the next Marvel film, that's a, you know, that's yeah. a, a big time problem. To get yeah. 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 time to get excited about a Marvel film, and it, it really didn't pay off with you know, Disney and uh, Edgar Wright falling out in the end and him leaving the project. Mm -hmm. So I think Disney in particular put a bit more effort in this time to try and please an independent director to keep them on, on the books, in yeah. a sense. It's looking at Thor 2 though, like Thor 2 is, is one of the sort of like worst rated Marvel movies. So to bring it back for another one, you need to do something sort of like extraordinary. And yeah, yeah, sort of just a bit sort of like odd. Um, mm. And off the sort of like popularity of Guardians of the Galaxy, why wouldn't you sort of go down that path like more so? more of an extreme. Mm. So. I think it actually goes back to Thor 2 in the production context of it. They originally had Patty Jenkins on board mm -hmm. direct Thor 2. Obviously she went on to direct Wonder Woman. Yeah. Um, and she was replaced by Alan Taylor who originally did it. So, and obviously Disney do Star Wars and there's been a lot of direct, you know, it's an evolving door of directors who yeah. have often brought onto projects. Uh, and Disney have that reputation. To answer the second part of the question, I'm not sure it paid off as much as it has in, in the past. I think this is not the first time Kevin Feige and Marvel has done this, I think. So it's kind of like they get to the third one and maybe they have more free money. Yeah. I think um, what this one did was maybe potentially too, too, too far. Whereas I think this film it changes the characters almost to fit in with Waititi's own style. So I think mm -hmm. for as much as he's also he's the great fish out of water comedian in Avengers and the first four, I found it a quite a big shift in this one. Mm -hmm. I found some of the more dramatic moments potentially undercut by some of the humour. Yeah. So I think it is, I think Marvel are open to risk. They've showed that time and time again uh, since their inception. I think they get more confident with every film. Mm -hmm. But I think, for me, this one wasn't as good, as much as I enjoyed it, it was not as good a tightrope walk as some of the other previous. As a fan of Watiti's films prior to this, I expected a bit more, in a sense. I, I'd read an awful lot during the production of the film that he's been given an, an awful lot of free reign as to not having to fit the film within the timeline of phase three, as it yeah. currently is. Um, so for me the final product wasn't as independent as I actually wanted it to be you know the uh, again sort of spoilers but um, the sort of 10 minute sequence with Doctor Strange mm. in the sort of first third of the film that felt studio mandate didn't it yeah and so I for me a lot of the problems with the film didn't feel related to Watita yeah. They felt as though there were things that were being forced upon him, like he had a bullet list of things that he had to fit within the film. And I think that's why it feels sloppy, jumping mm. from drama to comedy, from drama to comedy. Potentially, Because yeah. I think he was he had such a limited runtime for his elements that he was trying to cram them in wherever he could. Mm. Um, so I think there's, there's still something to be said for, for Disney's relationships with these independent directors. And perhaps, you know, something like Wonder Woman, which is 
kind of looking to be almost separate from the DC universe at the moment. And, it's, and the fact it's good. Yeah, it was, <laughs> in, in the fact that it's been successful and it, it was entirely on its own outside of everything mm-hmm. else that was happening and they're talking about the sequel doing the same to make it more independent. Maybe Marvel could look at doing something like that with some of these independent directors so that they don't have to run by these checklists, mm-hmm. which is harming their films. I think the elephant in the room is that the Avengers film is out in six months, isn't it? The new Avengers film. Yeah. So they, there's a lot of chess pieces to move yeah. to get that done. I think if this film would have came out, like Iron Man 3 came out straight after yeah. the first Avengers, which mm-hmm. meant there was obviously quite a lot of time before they had to start thinking of the next Avengers film. Yeah. Um, so Iron Man 3 had a lot more, in fact it, it played on the, the last one, but it had a lot more room to experiment. Yeah, yeah whereas yeah, I think yeah. this one, as much as you've got my Titi there as a kind of individual voice, you've still got a lot of the pieces moving yeah. uh, for May, which is when Avengers 3, yeah, Avengers yeah. 3 comes out. Um, it's the nature of pipelines though, isn't it? When, when, when they're planning films out so far in advance, they have to almost just cram it between the big sort of like tentpole movies mm-hmm. like like Avengers up, obviously yeah and it's it, it's far too limiting for sort of like to get proper stories <laughs> it's yeah. always it's always got to be linked back to that big the big movie coming out in six months or whatever it be so that's yeah. it there is something to be said about trying to just make the film you're making good like yeah, as Marvel really. have always been very careful about making sure yeah. that the films themselves can stand on their own I think the only problem it gets is when you have a voice like Waititi's, which is so, as we said, so narratively, thematically coherent across his work, working in that environment that sometimes you can mm. you can see it more obvious to kind of just the wainscot fade into balance. And I, I think you see those weaknesses in some of the battle sequences for me in Thor. He didn't hear about the fight. I did know that it was it was faceless CGI ghouls that had no importance yeah, just being massacred. It was just a video game, well, essentially. It was, yeah. it, it did feel like a, a video game. And when you're on, you said, was it like the 17th Marvel yeah. Yeah. film in the franchise? At that point, you know, you're bored of that. So seeing these comedic elements, you know, from someone like Watiti, who's got his you know, very yeah. distinct style, he's a breath of fresh air. And then it jumps to, okay, now back to massacring mm. CGI yeah. monsters. And yeah. so for me, that was where the film lost it. Yeah, yeah. It was just getting through it, just gets the comedy beats, basically. It was, yeah. like, it was very clear what he coveted and what he liked mm-hmm. to do, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's said it in interviews before about the stuff that he wanted, to, he was keen to to have in the film. Mm-hmm. And then like, there is the stuff that isn't mandated by a studio, but it's almost mandated by the genre in which mm-hmm. he's working. Like, yeah. you can't end a Thor film without somebody having epic tight. Which I think even with Wonder Woman was such a a weakness to that film, which was otherwise amazing. It had to have this ridiculous fast film. The last 20 minutes undermined it. Uh, Not not completely undermined. But it it could have been so much stronger if that had not happened. For me, Wonder Woman is a five-star film uh, made into a four-star one by the last 25 minutes. It's it's a real shame. It is a shame that these superheroes have to have They haven't cracked it. They haven't figured out how to not do that yet. So Wattiti's films up to Thor have all been set in New Zealand and shot in New Zealand. Um, how do you think this sort of space of setting affects the films that he's made, if at all? So I think, and obviously it's not playing New Zealand in yeah. Ragnarok, so mm-hmm. it's playing, you know, if, it is, if they're there in Australia, sorry, um, yeah. you don't get the sense that it's no, there, it's, it's not supposed it. to be there. So I think it's missing completely, whereas I think it's completely essential to something like Hunt for the World of People. It's other films, yeah. yeah, it's such an anchor. It's such, yeah, I think Hunt for the World of People is a very different film without that sense of place and location. Mm-hmm. What we do in the shadows to a lesser extent, but at the same time it's still an extension of the humour and the, yeah. the everydayness of it. 
Yeah. Oh, like you know, lightning. Wellington. <laughs> yeah, so I think Eagle versus Shark to an extent as well uh, is very much in, in the, not necessarily in the, in the plot itself, but the people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it, it, it's important in his work up to what we do in the shadows, it becomes essential in Hunt for the World of People mm-hmm. and then becomes almost negligible. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a bit of a weird balance because it's like not many people that would be watching his films would be sort of like would have visited New Zealand or something mm-hmm. like that it's, it's still very sort of like the other side of the world country um, but then you've got the sort of the comedy that we talked about earlier the mundanity and the sort of the the comedy that everyone can relate to mm-hmm. it, it's a weird balance because you've never been there but you can relate to everything they're going through and it's that yes yeah, weird balance I decided <laughs> the country championing the film itself I know like Sam Neill said he just drove around New Zealand promoting uh, hunt for the world of people in small kind of yeah. um, small villages and towns and stuff like that, trying to spread the word because he knew it was a good film and good word of, good word of yeah. mouth. So I think Waititi is very much aware of his um, where he's from and things like that. Mm-hmm. He's very proud proponent of that through his films as well. So I think he he foregrounds it, and not just within the films itself, but in the I think Hunt for the World of People had a it had a huge opening I think for an, mm-hmm. I think it had the biggest opening ever for New Zealand film yeah. in New Zealand. Um so you know people really got behind it and it had a sense of ownership to it. Yeah. In New Zealand. Similar to Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I mean for me like like say with Peter Jackson, he almost birthed the film industry in in New, New Zealand, Zealand yeah. in a sense. Well for me that was almost in a uh, more about the environment, not culturally. But whereas Watiti is able to take the culture of as New well. Zealand and yeah. bring that into his films Very and much. into things like Thor. Yeah. They've got their own sort of comedy industry oh, there as well. I mean, obviously there's Fight of the Concords, which started on radio on mm. Channel yeah. 1. It had a very similar burn to Mayabushia, which I think yeah. starts, starts yeah. off as a radio. You know, I watched What We Do in the Shadows the first time, is I was working at a public library and one of the other librarians was talking about it and I'm like, what? And she's like, oh, it, just, it was so funny, just a bunch of vampires being flatmates. And I'm like, Watch Being Human, and that's like a werewolf or ghost yeah, and a vampire yeah, being flatmates. I, I enjoyed that, and I have a friend that likes horror films, and this seems like it'd be entertaining. So we just rented it on a whim and watched it, and we're like, "This is amazing!" <laughs> <laughs> Going in completely blind to to see it, not yeah. knowing at all anything about Botini or his style or anything like that. It yeah. was just so good. I, I think when you see one of his films, you start to think, "Why have I never seen this?" Yeah. You, you, yeah. you start thinking, "Well, why did I put off?" this for so long mm-hmm. I should have just watched this instantly so what does Batidi bring to his films that other directors do not I think it's very much a um, a similar semblance of like theme narrative and, and, and actors that he brings mm-hmm. together which I think kind of creates a vision I think he's he's just yeah I think he's just there's a sense of distinctiveness that is sometimes um, hard to have across multiple different genres which he's mm-hmm. he's balanced quite well uh so far, I don't know, you know where where we're going next. I know something about like Michael Jackson's chimp film. Oh, is he's going to be doing a sort of like half sequel to what we do in the shadows, isn't it? With yeah, like the we are wolves. Yeah, the the Michael Jackson weirdly echoes in almost all of his films. Like there's yeah. either a reference to a dance of, I mean, very heavy and boy, but almost yeah. all of them have yeah. Michael Jackson or just sort of like seventies eighties music. <laughs> it's very interesting. You can just get that feel throughout all of them. Yeah, that's called Bubbles. Oh, yeah, Bubbles. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the music's something that I bring up as something that's particularly fantastic in, in his films. Um, obviously, Thor yeah. um, has been praised an awful lot for that. Um, 
but for me Hunt Hunt for the Wilder people uh, you know you've got Nina Simone in there and you know there's very distinct quite jarring at times mm. when the music changes throughout the film but uses a lot of uh, very traditional sort of uh, New Zealand Australian Aboriginal sort of music especially within Hunt for the Wilder people that fits really well as a Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, that, it's the whole thing of sort of like being a, a native comedian as well. It's like Edgar Wright. Um, he's like traditionally British with his, with his comedy, and you can see that completely reflected in Watiti's work as well. Like he's naturally funny. It doesn't have to be a forced script. He, it's almost like he could write it with his eyes closed, sort of thing. He just knows he'll just get a story and he'll find something funny in that story. And that's the whole thing with the funeral in. in for the world of people mm. yeah stuff like that so like he can find comedy in even the darkest places mm. so yeah even going off the music the way he apparently pitched his idea for Ragnarok was using clips from the films and some stills whilst playing immigrant song yeah. that became such a huge song in the film mm. itself it's used twice and it was yeah it was used <laughs> yeah, twice yeah. that's how much that he just really wanted this song to happen and like I guess the execs were just like this looks awesome <laughs> do it and he's like yeah I think just as director, writer, producer, which he is mm-hmm. for all this film. Basically, yeah. Um, makes that voice easier to Definitely. to see as well. I think uh, Edgar Wright is the same. When you have that control. much control. Yeah. Um, um, I, I do think that they both, Edgar Wright and, and Watiti, have the, the advantage of sort of doing their work in their native countries for their native audiences. Um, and I don't reckon that either were deliberately trying to go Hollywood or big or anything like I don't which he's kind of very unapologetic in his ideas and his concepts like when Disney called him in to work on Moana he had very strong opinions of what he wanted that to be he did not want there to be spirit ancestors communing with her or any like as he said like that he was really against that and thought it was just such tripe when it comes to like native peoples always having like spirit ancestors that are their superpower um, so I think he's very much one of those kind of directors that at least we hope isn't going to sell out because he's so against and a lot of the comedy I think he had in Ragnarok was almost him just taking the mick out mm. of these serious overly dramatic bits that Marvel has these big boss like all of the stuff that should be like tense moments he just mm. killed with comedy and humor and just being like not taking it seriously at all somebody else I was talking to about it, the, the whole yeah. summer and they, uh, I was talking to him and they, they were saying that they thought it felt a bit forced mm-hmm. for that opening sequence, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see that it, yeah. it, it uses the same joke multiple times within one scene. Yeah. Um, it's setting the tone, though, isn't it? It's yeah. just like, if, look, this is probably the worst the comedy's going to get. This is the, <laughs> the repetitive nature of the comedy. Yeah. It's probably not going to get to this extent yeah. like for the rest of the film. So if you can get through that... Like, I, you can I also think it. you've got to look at the box office of it. Mm. Oh, it's, it's out gross, it's outstripped many Marvel films, it's made almost 800 million I think mm-hmm. now. Uh, it had an opening weekend of 134 million, whereas something like Justice League made 94. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you would have told people three years ago that Thor would be out, you know, outgrossing Justice League, which is a culmination of all these DC heroes mm-hmm. and big heavy hitters, people wouldn't believe it. I think it it's not just uh, this is a guy with his own unique niche take and it's to a niche audience. And yeah. he's, it's a international you know it's obviously been internationally kind yeah. of um taken in and i think that's a really it's a really key thing as well that this is not as much as hunt for the world of people what are you in the shadows even might have been you know little seen but intensely loved mm-hmm. i think for despite you know you know like i said i i have some issues with it yeah uh, it's it's undoubtedly it's been a critical and commercial mm-hmm. success i think marvel 
will be going hand in hand to YTE for Thor 4. Which are, are we surprised that there was still an audience for Thor? Mm. I'm not. No. I don't think that that's ever going to... It's like Star Wars. There will never not be an audience mm. for it. As long as the comics are still selling and the film branches are, are still alive, people will go see it. Maybe mm. not in as vast an amount of numbers, but people... Yeah. Enjoy them. Said, and said that about the Western, though. That's true. That's true. Uh, and then Westworld came out, and it was a huge hit. But how much of that was Western? I was going to say that was Yeah. So it's it's kind of they might even do things like that where they play on. It might seem Western, but they're going to do it different. Yeah. And especially with this one, when we had like like mythic Thor in space with aliens, like getting a bit more Guardians, as you said. Um, I think jazzes it up, changes mm, it up. Yeah, I think it would be it's reductive to even suggest that Marvel haven't. Been funny before. They, yes, a, a oh, they were. Yeah. They were definitely Guardians funny. was yeah. basically a comedy. Even Thor one was a fish out of water comedy. When yeah, he's on like Earth, he got shocked of, so many times in that one. Yeah, and he really loves shocking him. And he wants to, um, you know, walks into a pet shop to try and buy a horse. Yeah, there's all these silly, yeah, all these silly moments in Thor one. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Iron Man got through yep. on, on brevity, the brevity and weight. Yeah, uh, Downey Jr. So I think this is not too big a step in the wrong direction. I think. When you say thing, you know, like when you're mentioning, like, will people still turn up for for a Thor film? I think it depends on the film. I think yeah. I think Justice League has shown that it's not necessarily to do with the characters; it's to do with making a a, a, a good film. And I know good is uh, subjective, but a film mm. that audiences will flop to. I think you could not have picked a more commercially viable potential project in Justice League. Yeah. But I think if they carry on getting filmmakers like Waititi or having success with working with filmmakers like Waititi, then I think people will keep turning up for it I think that each film offers a different thing I've seen many Guardian articles talking about how it's our kind of movies are all the same which is just the most yeah. reductive it's just it's, yeah. it's willfully ignorant of film like you've had yeah. we've had Logan and Thor yeah. this year both so different to compare the two just yeah. because of their they're adapted from a, a the same kind of text yeah. is bonkers so yeah. I think as long as the people are making distinctive versions of these characters and films mm-hmm. Uh, that people relate to or like, then I think they'll be so they'll probably help yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think with TD, like he's got his own plan, so he's clearly not totally sold out because he's already got other projects in the work. And yeah. I think yeah. he's not someone we're, we'll have to worry about because whatever he puts out, people are now re- familiar enough with his work that they're going to just be like, oh, it's a new Watiti film. We're going to go, we'll go see it, which yeah. is good. And I'm happy for him. And all of the, the lovely New Zealanders will be employed <laughs> because of him. <laughs> Th- thank you guys for joining me today. I uh, hope you guys enjoy watching Boy at Phoenix and uh, re-watching all of Petiti's amazing work. <laughs> a big thanks to Kieran, Harry, and Ethan for speaking with me today. Boy will be at Phoenix Cinema Leicester from Tuesday the 28th to Thursday the 30th and stars James Rawlinson and Taika Waititi, directed by Taika Waititi. Thor Ragnarok will be at Phoenix from Friday the 1st to Monday the 4th of December and stars Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, Tessa Thompson, Kate Blanchett, and Jeff Goldblum, directed by Taika Waititi. Our thanks to co-producer Peter Simkuti and song credit to Badly Stuffed Animals for their song Vanilla Ice Cream. Hope you tune in next time for more talks on films, filmmaking, and the events happening around Phoenix Cinema Leicester. Until then, happy watching. <laughs>